But let me be explicitly clear. It's not okay to make people feel guilty for doing simple things to not lose their bleep and to balance work with trying to have some space for their brain cells to not wither up and die. Hey, hey, Emily Abadi here coming to you from the AG studio. You are listening to Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. Today, I am amped to be bringing you my conversation with Melissa Doman. She's an organizational psychologist, a former clinical mental health therapist, and mental health at work specialist. And that's exactly what we're going to be chatting about, how to navigate well-being at work, and more specifically, a term that she has coined called well-being shaming. And we dive into exactly what well-being shaming is and how harmful that behavior can be. Plus, the reasons why well-being shaming may be happening in your workplace, from the mission to maintain the company's status quo to maybe someone wanting to fit in so that they mimic the behavior of others. Melissa offers up a script that you can follow on how to better explain your feelings when you are experiencing well-being shaming in your workplace. And we also get into this really great discussion about the concept of work-life balance and how it is possible (laughs) if you put the right systems in place to safeguard your well-being, including overall mental and physical health. Really, really loved this conversation. I met Melissa down at the BBYO International Convention. So a huge, huge thank you to the good people there for connecting us. And speaking of traveling, I am really looking forward to tonight in Washington, D.C. Can't wait to see all the hurdlers at Hotel Xena this evening at 6 p.m. Make sure you are following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. And I am over at Emily Abadi. Last little bit of housekeeping. If you're not yet subscribed to the weekly Hurdle newsletter, the link to do so is in the show notes there. In your inbox every Friday, you can get a lot of the same inspiration and motivation that you love from the show. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Melissa Doman. She's an organizational psychologist, a former clinical mental health therapist. It's Monday morning for me. Author and mental health at work specialist. How are you doing, Melissa? I am fabulous. How are you? Oh, she's fabulous because she just got a house. Yes! First time (laughs) homeowner who's ready to be house poor. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know what? Someone told me that before I was going to move into this apartment. They were like, how are you going to feel about being house poor? Honestly, everyone's different. Best decision I ever made. Like feeling so good in my space is absolutely priceless for me. 100%. I couldn't agree more that home has very much become a... Oh, how do I say this? Like a sanctuary 
because I work so hard. I'm constantly traveling to speak and stuff like that. When I come home, I want it to feel cozy and like something that my husband and I really constructed to help us fill our cups back up. You want to you wanna have the glass half full mentality all the time. <laughs> I'd say uh, as full, as full, as reasonable. And, uh, you know, on the days where it is kind of crap, that it still feels nice and cozy for sure. Love nice and cozy. Well, yes. I'm so excited for you. Congrats Thank again you. on this fun new chapter. I love when something like really exciting happens right before someone gets on the show, because then they're like energized, jazzed up, ready to talk. Today, we are ready to talk about well-being shaming. Yes. One <laughs> of my favorites. Uh, I remember when I was writing about it in the book and when I used to uh, talk about it in, you know, events and the before time before the world shut down and starting to again now, and you see all these looks on people's faces like, oh, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it is something that I talk about with, as my grandfather would say, vim and vigor. First and foremost, why don't you give us a little bit of insight into how you became someone who considers themselves a mental health at work specialist? Give us some insight into your journey to this point in your career. It was very much a, a pick your own adventure path. And uh, I remember when I was doing clinical work and I was so appreciative to get that counseling degree and to learn about the human condition and what people tend to struggle with in private. And I really value that time that I had because the things that people told me, the ways that I was able to teach them how to help themselves, that those are moments in time I will never forget. What really frustrated me though, is I felt like I was treating people in the shadows and a broken narrative. And so it felt like it was you know, treating one person at a time, a small group at a time, but nothing was changing. And it didn't feel like it was enough. And a lot of those people said, there's no way, shape or form I could ever talk about this at work. And that really didn't sit well with me. So I thought, let me make an impact at the source. Let me switch to org psych and see if I can, if I can tinker with it a bit there. And so I switched into org psych doing, you know, team dynamics, communication, emotional intelligence, all those great words. And I still do that work now because most people are, are walking around not having those skills developed and then they take it out on others. But you still couldn't say the words mental health or mental illness in the workplace. And I was like, are we really doing this? Why? Why? And then I remember that when we'd moved to London that a contract I was on and said, oh, you're clinically trained. Can you do a mental health awareness campaign for us? And I was like, really? Yes, I would love to. And that was four years ago. And I haven't looked back since. It has been a complete rocket ship for two core reasons. People want explicit permission to talk about it. And they want to know how to not screw it up. And I'm happy to provide services for both. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people hear what you're saying about the words mental health and work being in the same sentence and not being able to talk about that stuff in their own work environments. Definitely, certainly, certainly relatable. The silver lining perhaps about the pandemic would be that innate level of vulnerability that came hand in hand with signing on from home, right? Bringing that discussion to the forefront, saying things like, I'm not okay today, knowing that we all had, you know, this shared communal experience, which was the pandemic. You know, what's so interesting is 
even in the before time, things were not okay. They were going on a path that made people feel more emotionally and physically unwell than ever before. You know this with your work. And the pandemic literally forced us to stop and have a, a come to Jesus sort of, of conversation with ourselves and basically went, this is why we can't have nice things. And we had to shift it all. And so when you're literally peering into people's homes, it changed the conversation entirely. And what's really interesting is that I've always found that each company, each industry, each person is on their own journey of willingness and readiness and motivation to talk about this. This topic has always been important, but the pandemic has put it so front and center in the world of work that any organizations in the coming years who are not talking about it will be the odd ones out. And so we're still very much in the infancy of these sort of discussions. If, if you think about, you know, the timeline of human history, where it's only started in recent years. So we're still getting used to the training wheels is what I would say. And people are still trying to figure out what good looks like. And that's something that I'm trying to help them do. But just because we're not physically together and we're doing this in a remote environment or potentially people go back into the office sometimes, this is very iterative. It's going to have to be continually updated because it's on the table. It's never going away. And anybody that tries to regress backwards is going to see their staff vote with their feet. Vote with their feet. Ah, leaving, leaving the workplace. Well, why don't we, before we keep going, give a little bit of insight as to how you define well-being shaming, especially at work? Oh, this is one of my favorites. So, uh, my dear, I'm going to use you as as an example, if you don't mind, from back Not in, your, at all. in your corporate days. Did you ever work at places where you heard people say something like, oh, it must be nice to sign off at 4 p.m. every day? Oh, it must be nice to, you know, be able to take a run at lunchtime. You know, I wish I had, I wish I had that time in my schedule like you do. Or, oh, it must be nice that, you know, the company lets you leave to, to pick up your kids. I wish we could all be so lucky. Have you heard some mm. ridiculous version of something like that? Definitely, especially working at my first company, uh, a mom-centric company, where if you had a kid, there was a lot of flexibility for you. But for someone who may be younger without children, I didn't say those comments, but sometimes I was like, where's the flexibility for the rest of us? These examples are examples of well-being shaming. And so what I mean by that is that when people are taking small actions to have a modicum of work-life integration because, you know, work-life balance, in, in my opinion, is a concept with bad branding because when are we ever able to totally balance those things? But I digress. So basically people take little jabs at you for trying to do small, reasonable things to manage and prioritize your mental health with work. So because that doesn't make people feel very good for a whole variety of reasons, it could be that it triggers them. It could be that they're trying to hold up the status quo at the company. It could be a whole host of reasons of why they say things like that. But let me be explicitly clear. It's not okay to make people feel guilty for doing simple things to not lose their bleep and to balance work with trying to have some space for their brain cells to not wither up and die. 
So lots of companies have problems with well-being shaming, whether it comes from a leader, whether it comes from a colleague, and they tend to have a, a passive aggressive flair to it. And the thing that I tell people to say is doing things to balance and manage my mental health is a healthy adult practice. Can you help me understand why you don't agree? It's not rude. It's not flippant. You're asking a question. You're making a statement of value and boundary. What are they going to say? So I always tell people, please do that. Report back because I want to know how far that person's jaw went to the floor. I, you know, I, I think about saying something like that and putting that into practice. And I would imagine that perhaps some of the feedback that you've received may be counterintuitive to what we'd hope to hear, right? Because oh, yes. there is certainly in some situations going to be even more pushback. A thousand percent. And I'm sure that you'll agree that when you put boundaries down, not everybody likes that. Not everybody thinks that feels good and people start to have a bit of a pissing contest and they go, oh yeah, and they lean in even harder. So I always tell people whenever I give any sort of guidance like this, be prepared for the fact that someone may not like what you're saying because you're trying to break a pattern. People don't like when you break patterns. Patterns are comfortable. Or like unintentionally question authority, right? Because that's what some people will feel as though you are doing by speaking up to your right for mental health. A thousand percent. And so there are cases, and I wrote about this in the book, that you got to read the room. And if the room seems as though it will just burst into the heat of a thousand suns by you saying something like that, is that the right place for you to work? Or if someone has a reaction, there's always a reason for that reaction. Always. It doesn't mean say something like that in front of your entire team and blow that person's spot up. That's not going to go very well. Maybe if you're dealing with it one-on-one -on -one and you're explaining the context around your decisions and that you would like that person to support you, it can turn into a really amazing conversation with a lot of key learnings. Maybe that person didn't even know they were doing that to you. They may, they may not know. It could have been such an automatic reaction and they take a step back to like, oh, that is not a good look. Or someone may not like it at all and basically go, you want to go toe to toe? I'll show you what it's like to go toe to toe. But then we remember people have a tendency to quit managers, not companies. So when you say that, what does that mean? What that means is if you have the luxury of looking for a new job, because not everybody has that luxury where you might have all these reasons that you have to stay in an organization, even some of which you don't like. But if you have the luxury of looking for a new job and you can't even feel like you can say something like this in an organization or that your manager will come for you, you need to have a very honest conversation with yourself of, does this company actually care about my sanity? Do mm. they care about my mental health? Why do I feel afraid to say something like this or do these very reasonable things that many companies are doing? I just got quoted in a CNBC article today about how LinkedIn is doing the lift up initiative all, all around these sorts of things to prioritize employee happiness. And if you're at an organization that's like, ah, it's a bunch of, bunch of nonsense, you really want to keep putting in 50 hours a week there? You really think it's going to change? 
taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsors. First up, Green Chef. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. You can enjoy your greens with Green Chef while being green, which is something that I absolutely love about it. It is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% 100% of their plastic packaging in every box and 100% of their carbon footprint and emissions. Now, if that is not enough of a sell for you, then the fact that it is absolutely delicious should help. Green Chef offers 35 nutritious and flavorful options to choose from every single week, featuring premium clean ingredients that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Just last week, I made steak with balsamic mushrooms, salmon with chive cream sauce, and this one surprised me. Noodleless beef lasagna skillet. It had mushrooms, zucchini, mozzarella, and Parmesan. It was delicious. And aside from the fact that all their ingredients are super fresh, they are also pre-portioned, which makes making these meals at the end of a long day an absolute breeze. Not to mention having all of these ingredients ready for me when I am ready to use them. It makes meal planning so much easier. Now, of course, I have a deal to offer the Hurdle listeners. Head on over to greenchef.com slash hurdle130 and use the code hurdle130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Again, that is greenchef.com slash hurdle130. Use code hurdle130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Also want to give some love to my friends at Inside Tracker. Through Inside Tracker's patented analysis of your blood, DNA, and lifestyle, they create a one-of-a-kind science-backed action plan to help you reach your potential for better than ever performance and a longer, healthier life. I'm about due for another ultimate test myself, but what I love about Inside Tracker is how easy and accessible they make it to learn about your own body and what's really going on. I literally did a mobile blood draw from the comfort of my apartment and then my results and all of my information was uploaded into the easy to use portal via their app. And I received customized recommendations of how I could adapt and tweak my diet to continue on my journey to those ultimate performance wins. Find out what's going on with you and your body today by getting in on Inside Tracker for yourself. Head on over to insidetracker.com slash hurdle. Again, that is insidetracker.com slash hurdle and get 20% off the entire store today. Again, that is insidetracker.com slash hurdle. It's super interesting as well because of this point, right? Because of the fact that not everybody has the luxury to, you know, continuously hop from point A to point B. But I do think that it's a really valuable question to ask and something to consider, even if you may not be able to make this hop right now, thinking going forward about what you want to prioritize within Mm -hmm. a company culture as you seek for your next opportunity. Again, not saying that right now, you're feeling like you are experiencing well-being shaming at your office place. So tomorrow you're going to walk in and be like, 
F this, I'm out. No, no, no I'm no, not no, saying no, 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 no. do that. <laughs> but you can take these experiences to inform how you operate going forward. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth that I would never encourage anyone to be reactive. That is literally the antithesis of what I'm going for. When you have these experiences, the first thing you have to do is have a little sit down with yourself and say, why am I feeling like this? What's happening in my surrounding environment, whether that's in an office or virtually? How much of this is my stuff? How much of it is not my stuff? Do I think that this is something I can change with my manager? Do I think this is a cultural change that's possible in the company? Is there buy-in from the right people to do so? You have to have these moments with yourself where you reflect and you ask these questions before you do something impulsive. I never recommend doing something impulsive. But these interactions are moments where you can learn, is this the right place for me? And then you want to make a data-informed decision whether or not it is. Two other things to touch on. The first thing to touch on, beyond perhaps like the it must be nice kinds of comments, I have heard from many of my listeners that they deal with coworkers or people in their office environment who, you know, feel some kind of way that they may just be active in general. So let's talk about someone who like always comes into the office after a workout or someone who is leaving the office to go to a workout or someone who is mm-hmm. like, you know, there's so many different situations, but this mm-hmm. person experiences what seems to be like their coworkers kind of giving them crap yes. for being an active person. Again, yep. you and I know that this is obviously them probably projecting a little bit about the fact that maybe they are not as active. But how would you even recommend someone to navigate that kind of discomfort when it comes to their relationships with their coworkers? There's so many reasons that people say stuff like that. And this episode is not long enough to cover all of that. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) But when it's really interesting because when people develop a consistent discipline or practice, in relation to their well-being, whether that's emotional or physical. It either inspires people or it pisses them off because there are so many feelings behind that in terms of being triggered or feeling jealousy or feeling intimidated or feeling insecure. There's lots of different synonyms about why people feel that way. So if you are one of those people, who is so disciplined that they're able to, you know, come to the office after a run or to a Zoom meeting before or after a run and people say something ridiculous around like, oh, you're always doing that or, you know, how are the rest of us supposed to keep up or something that is clearly not benevolently intended. You have to explain the context. What's the intention? Why do you give a bleep? Why are you doing it? It doesn't mean share your life story. But if people are saying it enough, it's, I do this consistently because it makes me feel good. And I can't Mm -hmm. control much of what's going on out there. What I can control is trying to take care of, of my body and my mind. So I make sure I do this every day because I, there's not much I can control in this world, but I can control that. And it makes me feel good. It's really that simple. You're not being defensive. You're not attacking someone for saying what they're saying. 
you're just informing them about your why. Be very connected to your why, because you can explain things to people without feeling or coming off as as defensive, just informative. That's what I always recommend because anyone who usually gets defensive, it's not exactly a recipe for a great conversation. And I think bringing it kind of full circle into the workplace by saying it also helps me show up here. That is something when it comes to our mental health and taking care of our overall well-being that is such a critical piece to the puzzle. It's not just about the importance of making time for that activity, but then extending that benefit from the activity, from the time that you are enduring it, that you are sweating, that you are going through it, or from the time that you are speaking with your therapist or your life coach, reaping those benefits in the other aspects of your life is monumental. Extremely. And I can't remember what I was reading. It was in recent months where the very non-scientific simplified version of what this article said is basically that having some form of physical move movement keeps your brain juices flowing. That's basically the, the simple version is that by keeping yourself moving, that you're literally removing the gunk of the machine that is your brain, keeps the juices flowing. And so for example, my my main thing that is a little difficult to do with the pandemic because it's not as safe, unfortunately, is salsa dancing. Mm. Salsa dancing is my jam. A little tough to do in a pandemic. But the thing is, it has the same benefits to me as having meditated for two hours. It's incredible. And to be able to prioritize that, and now I have to do it differently. I have hardwood floors, a mostly willing husband, and salsa music. So we kind of make it work. <laughs> week, but it really, it just keeps things moving. Moving is life. Moving is thinking. Moving is innovation. Moving is, is being human. And so I think developing that practice is so deeply personal. And then the other thing that I wanted to double click on would be your perhaps best practices for someone to set these smart boundaries around some of their health and well-being practices that they want to make a priority in addition to their work. So I, over the pandemic, have talked to so many individuals who will say something like, I've blocked off from 1 to 2.30 p.m. on my calendar as focus time. Thank you, Apple, for that new term that we're all using <laughs> so regularly. But something like that, would you recommend calendar blocks? Would you recommend, again, maybe appropriate communication? Where does someone begin with wanting to make these boundaries when it comes to their well-being and work? The good news is I have a, a specifically created concept for such a thing. Aha. So the reason I love talking about this is not because I created it, but because people tell me it works. Truly, it's called the mental well-being non-negotiables. So what that is, is you coming up with certain things that you do, no matter what, barring death, dismemberment, hell, high water, or illness, and I am not joking, that help you manage and prioritize your mental health. So the good news is, you get to choose what that is and what feels right for you. And you want to think about the paradox of choice. Don't say, I'm going to do these 10 things because then you're not going to do any of them. You'll just freeze with paralysis by analysis. Start small, three to five or less. And so if that means making sure that you block off that time chunk so you can actually go for a walk or dare I say, 
small flowers or go look at trees or whatever that is. That's what that means for you. If that means going for a run 10 minutes a day, that's what that means for you. If it means dancing to ABBA in your underwear in the living room with your kids, that's what that means to you. Whatever that means, stick to it no matter what. And you can't say, I don't have the time. You have to make the time. You must make the time. If President Obama can find time to go for a run every day, what is your excuse? <laughs> Seriously, you got to find the minutes, minutes where you can. And no one is going to take charge of that for you except for you. So come up with your mental well-being non-negotiables, start small, and stick to them, except in the cases that I mentioned, because a little, it's a, a really great Tanzanian proverb, little by little, a little becomes a lot. And I think that here, something that's really valuable is this idea of prioritization and the concept of believing that you are worthy of this time, right? Yep. So often we are so good at making sacrifices when others are directly involved in the equation. But mm -hmm. when you take a step back and you ask yourself, if by doing this, will I actually be better for others in the process? A hundred percent of the time, the answer to that question is yes. So mm. recognizing that, yes, I am worthy of my own energy. I am worthy of my own investment. Let's see mm. what happens from here. Once I make a conscious effort to give myself this time to make me better and to then better show up. I completely agree. I remember distinctly, it was one of the last talks I did in London uh, before you know the world shut down and when we moved back to the States. It was a group of probably about 200 people. And this wonderful woman stood up and asked a question. And she said, all of this sounds so great, but I honestly feel really selfish by doing any of it because I have a son who we went through six rounds of failed IVF to get. And I feel like I'm being very selfish and not being there for him if I'm taking this time. And she started crying. And I said, I appreciate your honesty. And I have a sneaking suspicion that your son would want you to do things to make you feel good so you can show up for him as his mom. And you got to take this time because parenting is a marathon. It's going to be a long time. And I know from how you speak about it that you love him and he loves you. And I am confident that let's say when he grows up and he's 25 years old, he's going to look back and be appreciative that you took the time for yourself so you could be a better mom to him, not the other way around. And the look of relief in her face and as her shoulders dropped, I said, okay, I got one. I got one. And I don't care if anybody else doesn't believe me in this audience. I got one. Yeah. And I, trust me, I've been there to anyone listening to this. Like I have certainly been in moments in my life where I can relate with that woman, where that self-care does feel really selfish, but in exercising this muscle because it is like a muscle, right? The mm -hmm. more that you take the time to figure out what it is that you need and actually take care of your physical, your mental, your emotional, your financial, your sexual, all of your health. <laughs> The more that you work on these muscles, the more comfortable and strong that you become in that process. That's completely true. And oftentimes we're not exactly taught 
to do that in our formative years. And you can't expect it from your primary caregivers if they didn't learn it either. It's a bit of the blind leading the blind. So you have to learn these practices as you get older, because if you don't, and all of these things are kind of deprioritized, you'll just go pop towards people you don't want to at moments when you don't want to do it. Before I let you go today, is there anything else that we should touch on when it comes to just exercising your overall well-being in the workplace, making sure that you're taking care of you, any tips or tricks that we haven't touched on just yet? Honestly, it's really the main question I want people to ask themselves is there is no going back to how things were. There's only going forward. We're still figuring out what this next chapter is going to look like. And I would highly encourage you to ask yourself, can I afford to not prioritize this? Can I afford to work at a company that doesn't prioritize this? And based on those answers, you'll decide what to do next. I love that. A little bit of personal inventory, personal inquiry to figure out what it is that's going on and what you want to happen going forward. Melissa, this was so great. I'm so glad that we were able to connect for the show. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give us all of your information. Thank you so much for having me. So if you'd like to connect, if you would like a a sweet, swift kick in the ass at your company about why and how to talk about mental health at work, you can reach me at melissadomen.com. You can add me on LinkedIn. My Instagram handle is at the wandering Mel. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at Melissa Doman LLC. Don't be shy, get in touch. And I would be very happy to help. And if you would like the uh, simple to understand and easy to use how to guide on how to have these conversations at work and do them really well. Uh, my book is called Yes, You Can Talk About Mental Health at Work. Here's why and how to do it really well. We love it. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.